Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Summit Church Podcast. We want to connect you to a relationship with God and all that He has in store for you. We hope this inspires you, strengthens your faith, and gives you hope to live out your best days now. Enjoy the message. Isaiah chapter 9, if you're looking for a scripture, Isaiah 9, and we've been for the last two weeks going on our third week here, looking at the names given to Jesus 700 years before his birth. It was about who he would be, characteristics and qualities of his life summed up in a name. Now, one of the things they don't cover in premarital counseling is the difficulty of choosing a name for your kid. There are all these rules nobody ever tells you about. For example, if you or your spouse ever dated anybody with a certain name, that name's off limits from now till Jesus comes. <laughs> Don't even go there. If you suggest a name for a girl that reminds your spouse of a girl that she didn't like in school, that name is off limits. And when you have to think through uh, the last name being linked to the first name, how important it is to be careful. If not, you're going to be like the Mann family who named their daughter Anita and sentenced their daughter to go through life declaring, I need a man. I need a man. <laughs> and then there was a lady called Helen, and she married a guy with the last name Back, Helen Back. And the guy said after 10 years of marriage, it was true. <laughs> okay, names are important, and they can reveal a lot about you, characteristics, qualities of your life. So it's really important to note that when God promised to send a Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, he described him by four important names that showed what kind of a Savior he would be. It says, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So today, let's dive into Everlasting Father. Now, we've already done Wonderful Counselor. Last week, we did Mighty God. This week, Everlasting Father. And if there ever was anything, we needed a Savior, a relationship that needed to be redeemed and restored. It is one of fatherhood, Everlasting Father. We've got, we have not done a good job making that plain to people who attend church. Now, some of you have great dads, or you had a great dad, and your memories of him are pretty fond and cherished. I get it. But for many of us, you didn't have a great relationship with your dad, and maybe some of your greatest pain, maybe that follows you in life and in relationships, is all linked to your relationship, good or bad, with your dad. Maybe he was there. Maybe he was never there. Maybe he abandoned you when you were very little. Maybe it wasn't even his fault. Maybe he died early and there wasn't someone there to take care of you in those pivotal moments of life, your wedding or engagement or graduation. And maybe he was physically present, but he wasn't there. Too busy, never really paid that much attention to you. Now remember, these thoughts about our earthly dad are shaping our view of our heavenly father. He's getting a bad rap from our relationships down here. Or maybe you can remember is how disappointed he always seemed to be with you. It was never enough. Or maybe he was abusive. And in a church this size, there's a lot of people who were physically, emotionally, and some even sexually abused by their fathers. 
So for whatever reason, there's a lot of pain that gets brought up when you think about your earthly dad. And so when I say Jesus wants to be your everlasting father, that might not really thrill you very much until you get another view of who our heavenly father happens to be. Unfortunately, this is probably the experience of a lot of people in our society that end up having a powerful shaping influence on your understanding of God. Uh, I, I, if he was never happy, if you never could please him, if he was never proud of you, if all he saw you was as a deduction and a burden, it will warp you up when you think about if you fail, and you will, if you stumble, and you will, if you come short, and you will, then you're going to assume, like people, like your father, they're going to, he's going to back off and not want anything to do with you. And you suddenly feel condemned, guilty, and unworthy. However, Scripture says there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. He's already been condemned for you. So get your head up. Start, get your shoulders up and square. God, God makes the right statement about who you happen to be. There's a sociologist named Vern Binstrom. And he says in his book called Families and Faith that studies repeatedly show that the quality of a child's relationship to the father is the single most important factor in whether that child will adopt the faith of the parents. So pretty sobering stuff. <clears throat> Eric Metexas points out that almost all famous atheists of modern entity, like Freud, Nitschke, Bertrand Russell, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, Hitler, uh, Mussolini, uh, uh, Stalin, you can go through, all of them had no father or they had an abusive, traumatic relationship with their father. All of them hated their father. Sigmund Freud said, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. So beyond just our faith, our relationships with our dads can be the most life-shaping influences in our lives. National statistics show 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of teenagers in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. And one of these studies claimed that almost every social ill faced by America's children is related pretty much to fatherlessness. One California school study noted that 98% of all discipline issues were caused by emotionally damaged young boys whose common characteristic was fatherlessness. So I'm going to identify four types of father wounds, and maybe you've had one or more, and show you how Jesus came to heal those wounds and become our everlasting father, the one maybe we didn't have. So I'm borrowing these categories from a book called Father Factor. It's about how your father's legacy impacts you, your life, your career. And I want to use these four types of dysfunctional fathers as our anchor points. And I know it might be maybe a little difficult for a few people, but we're not trying to bring up your painful memory of the past. Uh, I simply want to uh, give you hope and show you how you can be well from any damage done by these different wounds of a father. So let's take a look at the first one that we have to look at here. And this is the never satisfied dad. The never satisfied dad. This is the dad, no matter what you did, he never seemed proud of you. Now, I know a pastor's wife who said her dad was like that. He wasn't unkind. He wasn't abusive. 
He always provided for her, but she never heard the words, I'm proud of you, ever come out of his mouth, and she always craved it. Well, she was the first person in her family to ever go to college, and not only did she go, I mean, that girl got a 4.0 and all kinds of academic honors. And as her graduation approached, she said, you know what I was dreaming about? Not walking across the stage and everybody cheering for me. I was dreaming about walking down from the stage and my dad would push through the crowd and in front of everyone say, I'm so proud of you and I love you. So that moment does come literally. And it's just like in her dream. Her dad really is pushing through the crowd to get to her. And she thinks, oh my gosh, this is it. And the moment he gets up to her, what does he say? Well, it's getting late. It's a long drive home, so we better get going. And she's devastated. And years later, it still affected how she approached her job, what she needed from her husband, and how she related to her friends. See how junked up this gets? So for kids who grow up in that kind of a home, proving themselves to other people becomes the dominating theme of their lives. And understandably, they carry this perspective of themselves into a relationship with God. So whatever you do, you've got this nagging, unspoken doubt, have I done enough? Do you think, God, I've done enough? I think, I think God would be happier with me if I were a better Christian, if I were a better witness, if I were a better person. And you constantly compare yourselves to others saying, if I were like him or like her, I bet God would be happy with me. That goes on a lot. Look, your heavenly father couldn't be more different than that. Isaiah 43 verse 4 says that we as God's children are precious to God. He tells us in Isaiah that he pays more attention to us than a mother of a newborn infant. The prophet wrote these words. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Obviously, the expectation is no. Even these may forget you. Yet God says, I will not forget you. Isaiah 49, verse 15. I don't care who walks out on you. God will walk right in and never leave you and never forsake you. You got to get a new image of who God is. I mean, some Christians need their head torqued. They, it's, we got a mean God ready to slap judgment on you in a minute. And I, I just thought, you don't know God from a hole in the ground. That is not who he is. It's almost to illustrate, if they wanted to, God's delight in all of us. So Isaiah, to do it, has to leave the analogy of a father and jump over to motherhood because most moms are a lot more attentive to the newborn baby than daddies are. And daddy said, that's true. Generally, that's true. Yet God knows me better and watches me more closely than the most attentive, love-stricken mom on this earth. That's what he's telling me. So Jesus told us in the Gospel of Matthew that our Heavenly Father is so attentive to us that not one hair falls off your head without him knowing it. Did you lose a few today in the shower? Just say, God be with you till we meet again. <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 God says, the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you down by his love. He will rejoice over you with loud singing. Now, I know some pretty awesome dads, but I don't know any walking around singing about their children. Seemed like a little hokey, but that's how much love God has towards you. He's going over the top 
to express that to you. Maybe my favorite description of this is by King David in Psalms 139 as he revels in the love the Heavenly Father has for him. So he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Your eyes saw my unformed substance when I was just a fetus. In your book were written every one of these members, the days that were formed for me when I as yet was none of them. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. So the truth is, we did make our bed in hell. And God ran into hell after us, and he stood in the way of the judgment that was coming towards me. We deserved it. And he took hell into his own body. And then he goes on to say, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Psalms 139, verse 9 through 10. So do you long to be special to somebody? Well, everybody wants to and has that desire. I have to know I am special to God. If he could have made anybody else, he could have made them. But he made me, and he made you in this generation. He could have put Betty Crocker back here or Billy Graham, but he chose you in this generation. So I have to tell myself you're the right person living in the right time for the right purpose of God. So knock it off about anything else you think negative or why was I born? Well, God wanted you. That's why you were born. He said, I chose you and called you by name before you were ever conceived in the womb. So God's already got you your track record laid out here, if you'll just follow it. So if you're yearning to matter to God, matter to somebody, no, you matter deeply to him. How your life's going, he cares about it. How much God thinks about you, you ever think about that? He knew you in the womb before anybody else ever knew you were there. He laid out a plan for your life and planned for you to take care and allow him to be a father to you. He said, before you were born, I ordained you to be. Everybody in here was ordained for some purpose. There's a lot of different purposes, but there's nobody in this room that has no purpose, no reason for you to live. That's total nonsense. God makes it clear that he ordains you to become the son or daughter of God by faith in Jesus, and he has a plan where you fit in this puzzle called life. Do you know how valuable you are to him? David says, even if I make my bed in hell, he wouldn't quit thinking about me. You need to know that. Some of you from last night, you need to know that. And that love is deeper, greater, and better than any love you can ever get from your father or your mother or anybody else. I don't know how to say it, but he's crazy about you, more attentive to you than the most love-stricken, God-honoring father on earth. Is there any wonder David said, such knowledge is just too high for me, too wonderful for me. I can't comprehend it. And by the way, before I go to this second father wound, if you want to be a good Christ-like daddy, simple. I got one piece of counsel for you. Let your kids know that you are proud of them. Be crazy about the kids. Let them know that you're their dad, not their pastor. 
A pastor's always pointing out where you're wrong, where you need to change. A dad's just excited about who you are and you're his. A pastor's always checking in on your spiritual progress, telling you what to do. But dad's supposed to be out at the games, beaming with pride at his kid, whether you're on the dance team, the football team, or the cheerleading squad, whatever it is. You're there to back them up. And believe me, they notice if you're there. Remember that study I referenced earlier about families and faith. The single greatest factor in determining whether that child will adopt your faith is the quality of your relationship to your kids, not the quality of what you taught them. So the good times you have with them on Saturdays is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you teach them in church. Number two, this is the time bomb dad. The time bomb dad. He's the kind of dad that will blow up over anything. And you never knew quite what to expect from him. If he had a bad day at work, the smallest thing would set him off. And maybe alcohol or drugs simply magnified those outbursts. But more than once, you got hurt verbally, emotionally, or physically. And of course, you never really learned to love that kind of a dad. That's like trying to hug a porcupine because it's hard to love somebody you're terrified of. And I'm telling you, you want your kids to have respect for you, Dad, but you don't want them to be afraid of you. It says in Scripture in Hebrews 3 that we as God's children can come boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. Do your kids feel they can do that with you no matter how bad the mess up happens to be? And God says, you can do that with me. You don't crawl into my presence. You come in boldly saying, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Dabba. That's your dad. Heavenly Father, and you can tell him anything. He's going to say, well, shoot, I didn't know that. He's not going to say that. He knows everything about you and me. But it's good for us to talk to him and confess what we are, what we need. Just be honest when you talk to him. Stephen Poulter says that negative ramifications from this are everywhere. He says an incredible number of anxiety disorders have their beginning in that style of fathering. Yeah, so, for example, kids who grow up like that become control freaks. Why? Because their dads exploded. Their lives crashed, and so now they want to control everything they can to keep that from happening again or being involved in it. In counseling, it's called hypervigilance. Psychologists call it similar to PTSD. So Poulter compares it to the United States response after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. While we put in a radar system then so sophisticated, it could detect any movement on the Pacific Ocean within a 5,000-mile radius of Pearl Harbor. A little overkill, right? Well, that's the way a lot of these kids grow up, over control. He says they're always on the lookout for where the next blow-up was going to happen, and they're scared not to be fully in control. And that's going to now affect how they see their Heavenly Father. You just have a hard time trusting Him or in leaving things in his hand, knowing he's got my back. How can I trust you? How can I believe that he's really going to take care of me? What if he happens to be in a bad mood, Rick? Well, he's never in a bad mood. Isn't that good? So just as with your earthly dad, you're always trying to figure out what to do to contain him to stay on his good side. When something goes wrong, you're going to be wondering, oh, no, what did I do wrong? And you're going to, every time something goes wrong in life, you're going to ask God, why did that happen to me? What is God judging me? And I can't believe this happened to me. Listen, 
people back into my car, just like your car. And I didn't sin. Somebody just backed into it, okay? You get a flat tire. Your battery goes dead. One of the children misbehaves, disappoints you greatly. Welcome to life. Welcome to the club. Are you, are you, have you lost your mind? I mean, but you, you don't want to live with this blow-up kind of a father, because I did. And I tell you, I hated this man, and I suppose it affected me in some ways about trying to control a situation. So I'm going to be pilot in command. You sit over there and be quiet. I'm going to decide. And I'm not being good. I'm trying to tell you how it affects you growing up. And I wanted to overachieve uh, to do better than my father without my father's help, who if he helped you would tell everybody what he did for you. Yeah, bad fathering, right? Now, all he did for me was to make me think, I don't want to be like you. I will not be like you. And I will make the choices not to behave that way. I don't have to behave that way. So my heavenly father is not explosive like that. And David said, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalms 103, 8. You know, your dad may have been the opposite. He was abounding in anger and slow to show affection. Slow to anger. That means he doesn't get mad quick. God's not got a temper. The fact is he blew it out on Jesus. He poured his wrath on him, not you. In Hebrews, it reads, long of nostrils. When it says, uh, not soon angry, in the Hebrew, long of nostrils, which is a great metaphor because what happens when you get angry? Your nostrils flare. And if you're quick-tempered, your, your flaring nostrils get going right away, and you're like a bull waiting to charge. But what do you do if you're trying to control your anger? Well, you close your mouth, and you breathe deep through your nose slowly. So kind of a cool thing about be slow to anger, develop long nostrils. Think of that. That is pretty, pretty cool. Calm down. And growing up with children, as you get older, I think you learn how to say, I'm not reacting to that. I'm not going to react. When I was young, I did. I, it didn't do a good thing. I'm not going to react. I'm in control. I'm not going to be shaken by what the child says to me. And that's a good thing. I'm not going to go, because then they think that's exactly how God's going to feel if I do something wrong. He's going to react to me just like that. And that God says, get that out of your mind. I am slow to anger. I'm long-suffering. I'm compassion. And worse, my mercy endures forever. How do you like that? See, God doesn't get angry quickly. And he's ready to forgive anybody at a moment you repent. Simple. Think of the father in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. He stood at the door of his house waiting for his son to come home, and the moment he sees him, he breaks into a 100-meter dash to welcome the kid back in the family. Now, there are times we all get disciplined by God. It's called chastisement. It's never called judgment. It's just discipline, and sometimes it's painful, but it's never done in anger. That's why you don't discipline your child once you're raging hot. Cool down. God never rouse up. He never disciplines you in anger at all. And if we're his children, it's always done for our good. I told somebody the other day, we're talking about our childhood. I never got a whipping I didn't deserve, but I got away with many I should have got a whipping on. Yeah, some of you too. He's the writer of Hebrews says that even with the best dad, their discipline can get mixed up with their flesh and selfish anger. But the discipline of the heavenly father is pure, perfect love and no anger at all. 
And that's because he poured out all the wrath and all the judgment for my sin on Jesus, so not a drop of judgment remains for me or you. Romans 8, 1, no condemnation to those in Christ. And God promises that in Romans 8, 28, he now works everything in our life for his good and his glory, our good, his glory. So not one thing has ever happened to you or will ever happen to you that God will not use it for your good and his glory. And let me pause to say, it isn't good what happened. God didn't say it's good. He said, I will work whatever happens to my kid for his good and for my glory. Somewhere down the road, he's going to weave that into something positive in your life. So don't freak out and come apart. Everything, betrayal, rejection, that divorce, that, that bad business partner, whatever it was, God says, I will work this for your good and my glory. Don't worry. So I want you to know your dad was the kind, if he's always angry, you never knew what to expect from him. Your heavenly father is exactly the opposite. He never panics no matter what's going on in your life. And let me use the moment to say, you got to stop viewing your heavenly father through the eyes of your earthly father. Just reverse the order. Your earthly father, see him through the lens of your heavenly one. See, God is the real father. Your dad is a replica. He's, an earthly dad is supposed to be like training wheels teaching you about the heavenly father. And some of us grew up with some really bad training wheels. They were terrible. But knowing the real father gives us the ability to cope with all the ways our earthly fathers failed us. So reverse the order. Stop viewing your heavenly father through the lens of an earthly one. Get healthy now and forgive that father for whatever he did or didn't do or should have done. Just choose to forgive them. It releases you. No matter what they did, it releases you. It pleases the Lord, and it's not a feeling. It's a choice. You just, and every time you get a bad feeling, just say again, in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive my father for la, 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 la. Just throw it. Pretty soon, you won't even think about it. It'll, it'll become old hat to you. And number three is the emotionally distant dad. You know, this is the kind of dad who was stable, consistent, never abandoned, never abused you, just never expressed emotion, never hugged you, never kissed you, never said he was proud of emotional connection, none. He, he made you feel special. No, didn't happen. Or that he would be proud of you. Didn't happen. Don't ha I couldn't wait on that. But my heavenly father will. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, the author said that things, this kind of a fathering style made up maybe 50% of families between 1945 and 1980. It's the leave it to beaver dad. And they're not supposed to be emotionally engaged at all. And maybe you grew up with a dad like that one. One book I was reading said that there are three things every child needs to hear from his daddy. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're really good at something. See that positive affirmation? Words have life and words have death. And you can shape the future of your child with the words you speak. And get a control on those words. Don't speak at all unless you can speak in a positive way. Because our flesh wants to blurt out hurtful things that will cut and tear and ruin the whole self-worth of a kid. So you've got to be careful. But you never, you know, I guess these kids are, have an insatiable desire to prove something. Maybe to prove themselves so they can hear affirmation from somebody that wasn't daddy, but he gave them what they were looking for. 
Years ago, I filed an incredible quote from Bo Jackson, who was a professional in football and baseball. He played both sports. He said, my father has never seen me play a football game or a baseball game. Can you imagine, he says. So here I am, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting alone in the locker room, envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and have a talk, and after the game, have something to eat and a drink with him. He said, I never experienced that at all. Or I think of Ricky Bobby's dad in Talladega Nights. I know some of you where your spiritual life is. You notice I just shifted down. Okay, Ricky Bobby, his daddy never came to watch him race. And Ricky Bobby would always leave tickets at the uh, will call stand or office there. He never came, never collected them. And it left him with an insatiable desire to prove himself. I have to win. I have to win. Now, that's the theme of every Tom Cruise movie in the 1980. Yeah, no father. Absolutely. So Poulter said kids who grow up in that environment like that not only fail to develop a healthy relationship with their fathers, they often struggle to develop any healthy relationships with other people, bar none, because they've never learned to open up emotionally with other people, not the spouse, not the kids, not a close friend. They don't really have close, close friends. And when they go through pain, they tend to go alone through it. And they may be extroverts with lots of acquaintances, but they don't have any really close friends that they depend on and go deep with who can speak truth into their lives. And tragically, that often plays out in a repeating cycle. You end up creating this, uh, this same kind of emotional distance in your children you had. So your heavenly father isn't like that. The father is so emotionally connected to you that according to Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, he literally can't be happy while you're away. Every day the prodigal son was gone, daddy stood at the door waiting for that kid to come home. And the father, I'm sure, had some things to do, lots of things going on, but he could not be happy while his boy was wandering and hurting. And when his son starts to come home, he can't help himself. He sprints out to receive the son, not listen to his excuse, and receive him back. And by the way, nearly every other parable Jesus taught, he ended it by saying, now you go and do likewise, but not this one. He just gives no action steps. We just get a picture of a father with unconditional love. And God says, I just want you to stop and worship. Behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us. It's inconceivable. So most of us in church still live with a performance deal now let's see, did I get that done today? Did I fail here? Did I do that? And if you got some good marks, you feel like, yeah, God, God loves me. But on the other days, nah, God's a million miles from me. And yet you're contradicting everything he says. It's not going to happen. So before we talk about the last one, if I could just say this, dads, maybe the most significant thing you can do for any of our kids, just be emotionally connected. Hug them, squeeze them. Well, my parents didn't do that. Well, then you do it. Kiss him, love him. If it's a young, a young son, kiss him on the cheek. If you go to the Middle East, I don't care whether you're Jewish or, or uh, Arabic or whatever, they, the daddies kiss those kids and sons on the cheek. Of course, they kiss them on the lips, but we'll, we'll do a handshake instead, okay? <laughs> but, the, but the point is, it's not unmanly to kiss your son on the cheek as a daddy to a son. That's very endearing. And if you didn't get it, give it. 
I grew up without any of that. I decided then I'm going to give it. I'm going to every, if they come down for church and little ones got on a little cute outfit she hadn't worn before, you just tell her, my, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Holy cow. Are you actually my daughter? I am so proud of you. And when big mama comes down, you better say the same thing. You better say, baby, you're looking good. Wow. I'm proud of you. I thank you for letting me tag along. You know, that's a fact. Compliment, compliment. He says, emotionally distant dads usually have no idea of the damage that it causes the children because they're thinking and they're thinking righteously. You know, they're not trying to be bad. I'm doing my job. I'm providing for my family. He says, these dads are clueless. He said, that part of seeing a good provider includes being emotionally and nurturing and active involvement in the child's life. It's not just food, shelter, and clothes. And I've told you before, most Christian men feel like I'm a great dad if I provide food and shelter for my family. And I'm thinking, is that the standard for dad? I mean, possums give their offspring food and shelter. <laughs> is that the bar we want to raise for godly fatherhood? I don't think so. So you're supposed to be present in their life, guiding them like a shepherd does. You should be their chief uh, promoter, their disciplinarian. You should show as much intentionality and ownership raising those kids that you do with your job. That's your future you're sending out there. And one last one, real quick. This is the absent father, the absent father. This is the dad that just wasn't there. 40% of children in America live in fatherless homes. In some places, of course, that number is way, way higher. And here's what happens. Kids often interpret the absence of their dad as personal rejection. They think they weren't important enough, not good enough, something's wrong with me. And some guys who grow up without a present father in the home become overachievers trying to be the man their father never was. In other words, to prove themselves so that they can get from others the affirmation they never got from their fathers. It drove them. Girls with absentee fathers can manifest that in similar ways. Sometimes they struggle to develop respect for themselves or confidence in their calling or purpose or career. Sometimes in the absence of father's love, they crave attention and care from a man. That's normal. That they want it, that what they never got from dad. That's why dads always give your daughter a hug and, and a kiss and brag on them how pretty they are. And let's go shopping. Do it. Every one of these little kids that grew up, little girls, and my grandkids get hugs and kisses and slobber, and I love you and proud of you. And, you know, I started like this, and now Mia today is up here. She can look you right in the eye, and I'm thinking, I'm getting old. I am really getting old. But one thing about Grandpa, I, don't, I just want them to know, they can feel safe coming to me. I'm not going to react. I'm going to respond, and I'm always going to be there for you. And I think you're the greatest. I think I couldn't be a luckier grandfather than have you as a grandson or a granddaughter. I am proud of you. I'm proud of the family. How much can you say that too much? I think with the world and the problems in the world, everybody needs to hear it. Everybody needs to hear it. And it's cheap. Just give it away. Be free. Let them know you're proud of them, and they're doing a good job. And then if you don't, then they're going to be willing, the ladies are, to do whatever they need to do to get the attention daddy never gave them. One study showed 90% of female porn models were sexually abused. 
And that's awful. And even if she chose that career for herself, it was because she developed somewhere in the past a low view of herself because some man taught her early she was just a sex object. So you have to ask yourself, I wonder if it was her father, an uncle, her grandfather that first abused her and taught her she was nothing more than a sex object to be exploited and then thrown away. Well, as you can see by now, Jesus is the opposite of any of these fathers. He says to us in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do you know, my grandmother used to say when I went in a pool hall back in South Carolina in the 50s, if you go in that pool hall, God ain't going in there with you. Well, Grandma was loving and loved Jesus, but her theology was bad. Yeah, he went in there with me in the pool hall or in the movie. They used to say, well, if you're in that movie and the Lord comes, you're going to miss the rapture. Who came? We ought to time to a post. Who came up with that kind of a teaching to make people think, that's my God? That's nonsense. That's not. On your worst day before you ever came to Jesus, he said, I loved you. I loved you before you loved me. And how can you improve on that or disappoint that? All you can do and all I can do is receive it. And you know what the Greek word for never is? Never leave you? Never? It means never. <laughs> never, ever, 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 never. For any reason, never. God's going to walk out on your kid. He did this or did that. Not going to happen. He'll never leave you. He wouldn't leave you when you had spurned him and walked away. He wouldn't leave you even when you made your bed in hell. He said, no, far from being the kind of dad who would walk out and pursue a better option. How many of you know God had other options? He couldn't be happy until he got you and I back home. And he still cares about all the other people not home yet. I don't, maybe you don't like them. Maybe I don't like them. The point is God loves them and God wants them to come home. And far from using or abusing you for his own pleasure like a bad father or grandfather, he allowed himself to be abused and tortured for you so you and I could have eternal life. And as men pounded nails into his wrist, all Jesus could pray was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not even angry there. See, Jesus is the heavenly Father all of us crave, born with an innate desire for even if you had a good dad at some point, he's not perfect. He'll disappoint you or fail you. And here's another reality. Even the best dads die. They won't be around forever. And when they die, they can leave this big gaping hole in your heart that you don't know how to fill. My youngest daughter said one day I was talking about servicing her car for the 12th time. And she said, Dad, I know you're getting old. And I know one day you're not going to be here to help me service this car. And I better start learning how to check the oil and the tire pressures and remember to get it. So I thought, well, yeah, I mean, it's about, it's about time you learned that. You're used to daddy serving you, but daddy will die. Daddy will not be here forever. And you better get a good view of who you are early before, because all dads are going to check out one day, correct? but you want to leave a good legacy where the kids have nothing but good memories about you, always loving them, going the extra mile to pro provide. That's why I love the words that Isaiah adds, everlasting father. He never disappoints. He never forsakes. He never leaves. He never dies. He's the everlasting father that can meet every need in my life. So I repeat again, don't judge your heavenly father by your earthly one. 
evaluate your earthly father by your heavenly one. He's the father you've been searching for. And when you realize that, you can get healed from your wounds and disappointments left by an earthly father and even learn how to forgive them for what they didn't do or what they did. And by the way, if you're a dad sitting here today feeling a little bit overwhelmed by uh, failure or some standard that you have not seen very important, listen, you don't have to drag yourself around on the floor and, I don't know, condemn yourself. Just apologize to the kids. Say, hey, kids, we're going to start doing this. Uh, Dad's going to try to start doing this. I realize I haven't done that correctly. When you apologize or you admit I can do something better or I haven't done as well, kids love it. They don't hate you for that. They love you for that. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. And if you're going to have a happy marriage, you have to say that a lot. You're slow, but I, you get it. Okay. So apologize and then point them to the everlasting Father who will never let them down, who will never fail them. And Jesus wants you to get well from any wounds left by your earthly father. And our team in a little bit up at the front will be happy to pray with you. Zephaniah 3, verse 17, the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I love that phrase, he'll quiet you by his love, because sometimes you'll hear your kid cry, or they'll come running in screaming as a toddler, and they want to jump into your arms, and they want you to hold them, and you're having to say, honey, honey, calm down. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And they keep moaning, and you pray, Jesus, kind of take her owie away. Help her to settle down. I speak peace over her. And as you're holding that child, and they're all with their wound, they start calming down. They start calming down. God says, I'll quiet you if you'll let me. That's the kind of dad. I'll hold you. I'll give you confidence I'm for you. And you'll calm down. That's very touching. So nobody may know what you're going through. Nobody sitting by you has any idea maybe about the pain that you bear or you're going through. But I'll tell you, when you go running and screaming and jump into the arms of the everlasting Father, He's going to whisper in your ear. He's going to pray for you. He's going to calm you. He's going to give you peace that passes understanding. And He will never, 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 ever let you go ever. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you down by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. As high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he even knows how many hairs are on our head. And he will never leave me, never forsake me. And he dances over me with singing and joy. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting summitsa.com.